How many of you are glad that he lives? Um, I'm so glad that he lives. Thank you, Sister Lyons, for leading us in the nostalgia of the church. And we thank you for that great song that reminds us that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. I don't know about you, but we have a, we have a, we have a faith that is filled with hope. And because it's filled with hope, we don't have to be downtrodden. We can draw on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be able to make it just one more day, as my father would say. And so, uh, he is risen. Oh, man. I don't believe y'all. He is risen. One more again for the Holy Ghost. He is risen. Amen. 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 Bless the name of God for all of his wondrous works and um, all that he's up to um, through and in the church. Amen. 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 Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship, where we show off the glory of Christ where? Amen. Amen. I don't know if any of you were here Friday. I mean, my goodness. I mean, um, the, the, um, we, uh, the, uh, I don't even know what to say. You know, um, all of the brothers uh, um, um, did a phenomenal, phenomenal job ministering to us. Um, and, then, and then we had Doxa lead us and uh, all three of our churches right now together, Restoration, Epiphany Camden, Epiphany Philly, and we had, uh, we had uh, Pastor Tommy minister uh, uh, to us for, uh, then, and we had uh, soon-to-be Pastor, Pastor Watts. Somebody going to have to call you that one day. Amen. He ministered, and then we had our Asian connection. Some of y'all ladies, y'all saying, woo, I don't know, but know about that. <laughs> wow. We're going to have to have a deliverance service after this. Um, but, 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 but Danny Chung, our first Korean guy. I mean, y'all don't know, y'all don't know. We, 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 had a, we got some multi-ethnic elders throughout our church. You got, you got, you got AJ, you got... Uh, you, people don't know that Trevor is Jamaican and Chinese. So, see, y'all didn't even know that, did you? See? Y'all think because somebody look a certain way, they just black, see? But he, he got some mixages in there. Some of y'all didn't know that Pastor Niren's Jamaican. Amen. Um, you'll, you, never mind. He's Jamaican. He's Jamaican. <laughs> Pastor Larry is Irish, and he plays Irish songs sometimes <laughs> in the elders' meeting. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we, just, we got just a mixed cast of crazy mixed bag people. I got Indian in me. You know how people from the inner city, everybody black. <laughs> so my mom, we got Indian in our family. We got Indian in our family. Um, <laughs> praise the good Lord. Um, in, a few, in a few weeks, I'm excited to, to, to cross denominationally connect with True Light Church. I'll be preaching uh, for their 20th anniversary of Dr. Wesley Pinnock, a Pentecostal uh, graduate of Westminster Theological Seminary. 
uh, very, very theologically sound and Holy Ghost filled man that I'm honored to be able to speak with. And so we're bringing Doxa over. And so we, I want to take my amens with me. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have amens there. But, um, but, 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 but y'all come on and put on your Sunday's best. Let's get over there and get it in. Look at your neighbor and say, let's get it in. So we're gonna, we ain't done that before. We, we ain't done that before. This is the first time we're going to take the team, you know what I'm saying, and go over there and see what the Lord is up to. And, and so I'm really, really excited about all of those opportunities that God has afforded to us to be able to connect uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the city. Well, without any further ado, why don't you stand to your feet so we can get up in this book. Um, we are in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, go on to the verses. Isaiah 61, verses. Yes, yes. Uh, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. I'll start with you, and I know you will continue. Uh, verses 1 through 3. I'll start off with part of the verse. Y'all finish on down with us. Let's go. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Keep going. Amen. Amen. Today, for our brief time together, I want to talk about Jesus, the resurrector of dead things. I'm um, looking at somebody beside you and say, neighbor, neighbor. Jesus, Christ Jesus Christ loves, loves to, resurrect to resurrect dead things. Dead things. That person wasn't fitting. You look at the person next to you on the other side. <laughs> say, neighbor, neighbor, I don't know if you know it or not, but Jesus lives to resurrect, to resurrect dead, things. dead things. You should shout to God already. You, you should give him a hand praise already. Let's, let's go ahead and pray, and let's, let's go before the living God. Father, we thank you and we honor you that you love to interrupt our lives and bring what only you can bring to our lives. Lord, we are honored and blown away by you being our God and our truth. And so, God, I just pray that you would help somebody today to see the resurrected Lord Jesus and get saved. If they're not, and Lord, but for those who are in you, remind them that the gospel not only saves them, but sanctifies them. And God, wherever there's deadness in their lives, Lord God, I'm praying a ferocious resurrection in that particular area uh, so that your name may be glorified and people may be edified and those who refuse to know you would be horrified. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, I don't know about you, but in my life, I've experienced times where God has intervened and when God didn't seem to intervene like I wanted him to. I can remember a few years back, my mother um, being sick with cancer 
and going over to see her on her deathbed in uh, the, the, uh, the living situation that my parents were in. And she had dropped below 100 pounds and, and, and she should have been dead. But I, I, I went in the door and she hadn't been speaking to anybody, talking to anybody. And they had her heavily medicated. And they had her heavily medicated to the point where she didn't, she was very disoriented and didn't know where she was. And when I walked into the room and, 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 I, and my voice rang out through the house, my wife says, my voice carries. And, um, and, and so she, that means, babe, what you're talking about, everybody don't need to hear. Um, but when I went into the house, um, my mom responded, baby, is that you? And I went over to my mom and I r- put my head to her head and began to kiss my mother like I was five years old again. And, and, and as I began to kiss, I began to call out to God to, to, to remove the cancer from her body. And, 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 and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and then we enjoyed each other and, and left. And that evening, my, my, my mother went home to be with the Lord that, 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 that very night. And my dad said, I believe that she waited for her youngest son to come on in and say a good night to her as she went into the night wind, being whisked up to heaven by heaven's angels to be at the side of our Lord Jesus Christ. But God didn't answer my prayer. And, and then, then I remember 15 years ago, my wife being six months pregnant with our daughter, who would have been 15 years old this past February 5th, and um, she having the, the baby dying in her womb, and we having to, she having to go through normal labor to push the baby out, her being whipped out into a surgery, and the baby laying there on the counter, and me looking at the baby and praying John chapter 11, saying, God, you are able even now that this baby is laying here lifeless in this room by myself with my daughter. God, will you raise her from the dead? scores of people from my church home at the time filled uh, the, the, the waiting room and they circled and rumbled the hospital walls with prayers that were being bombarded towards the throne of grace for God to raise Naomi Michelle Mason from the dead and God chose not to raise her from the dead fast backwards again 1993 my dad um, a war veteran Buffalo soldier uh, dropped mortars under the Tuskegee Airmen um, was it, it was a, was an alcohol and an abuser and a crazy man that would shoot you at the drop of a hat. And he got really, really sick one time. It was at the VA hospital in Washington, D.C. And, and, and the doctor said, while we were in California, y'all need to get here because he doesn't have too long to live. And so we came from California uh, by way of bus, not, we couldn't afford a plane, so bus. And we got there, and my father, my father, uh, my mother went upstairs immediately. And when she went up there immediately, my mother was a praying woman. It's one of them old school prayer women who hold uh, a hymn under her arm and always got a scripture in her pocket. And she began to go, my father, uh, I don't believe, knew the Lord at the time. And my, 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 my mother began to call on the name of the Lord. The doctors were trying to resuscitate him at this time, and he flatlined. And she went and she began praying in his ear and, and, and praying to the living God that God would raise him from the dead and save his life. And all of a sudden, he went flatline, and the doctors were trying to resuscitate him. And they were trying to resuscitate him. And then one of the doctors looked at his watch and he said, It is now, we now pronounce Jimmy L. Mason. Beep. He got 
off the flat line at that time and was resurrected from the bowels of death. I don't know about you, but there have been things in my life that I've been desperate for God to resurrect. I'm by myself. I'm going to go. I'm going to stay on this side. Now, there have been times in my life where I've been unbelievably frustrated with the Lord that he didn't raise up some things that I wanted him to raise up. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been in situations where I've been like, Lord, what in the world is going on with all the power you have and with all the strength that you have, um, you're able to raise everything and anything up from the dead, so hear my prayer. But then there were other times where I prayed to the Lord and he, re- he not only re- resuscitated, but he resurrected and took things to a whole brand making new level in different areas of my life. Am I the only one that's ever had God come through for him? Am I the only one that's ever had God resurrect a dead thing? Well, we come to a passage where one of the, one of the globe trotters of the good book is communicating in a potent pericope some beautiful principles that will help us to push forward in Christ. I'm looking in this passage and I'm realizing that Isaiah is a key book to help us to keep on walking with the living God. As a matter of fact, Isaiah, family of God, is one of the most prophesying prophets in the Old Testament about Messiah, even though everything Jesus said in Tanakh speaks of him. um, This, interestingly enough, Isaiah has some of the most specific and clear prophecies about the coming of the Lord Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 40, we see depression with glimpses of hope, but in Isaiah 50 to, uh, uh, to the end of the book, we, we begin to see the unveiling roles of Sharon come on out. And I love Isaiah because he is like, this is the Romans of the Old Testament, if you will. If Romans is Paul's greatest theological work, under the prophets, Isaiah is one of the most massive and and, and weighty theological works of uh, one of the prophets in the Old Testament to point us to Jesus and see Jesus Christ more clearly. And so Isaiah now is giving hope. Somebody say hope. Hope. Uh, 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 One of the things I love about God's word is he gives hope. Somebody says hope. And what's powerful about this passage is we see here that now we're getting to the hope of what happens when Messiah comes. All of the things that happen when Messiah steps foot in his incarnation on planet Earth in his first advent and his second advent. In his first advent, he's going to come to save us from his sin. In his second advent, he's going to deliver us out of everything. In his first advent, he's coming to let us know what's available. In his second advent, he's going to make everything available. In the first advent, he's going to point to all things being new, but in the second advent, he's going to make all things new. In the first advent, he proclaimed the captives free. In the second advent, he's going to set the captives free. In other words, when God in Christ came to planet Earth, he set in motion a cataclysmic, cosmic interruption of every single thing that will have cosmic value because he's the cosmic Christ that one day is going to come up and set up shop. But right now, he's prophesying forward. So you got to recognize he's prophesying for what's going to happen. Now we stand in what did happen. And so we come here and we see my first point. I'm out your way. I'm going to be real quick. First point and only point. If you're going to recognize that Jesus Christ is the resurrector of dead things, number one, you must recognize that Jesus Christ came to bring total freedom to us. Yes, 
Jesus came to bring total freedom for all of us. And he makes it available. Isaiah, let's look at what the prophet says. He says, he's not talking about himself. He's talking in first person about what the Messiah is saying about himself. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for a reason. <laughs> because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. When he talks about the spirit of the Lord God being upon him, it's pointing to Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus Christ at his baptism, even though he's fully God in the flesh, even though he's full of glory and even though he's full of grace and even though he's full of power and even though he's full of justice, when he became a human, he subjected himself to the limitations of what it meant to be a human without, without utilizing his deity without without, without permission from the Father. And when Jesus did a miracle on planet Earth, he never used his deity because he didn't want to cheat. Everything that he went through in his humanity was to reflect a deep dependence on the Lord. It's interesting that the very thing that he wants from others, he does himself. And that's depend on the Lord. And so at his baptism, Jesus Christ got baptized, and the Bible says that the Spirit came upon him like a dove. And the reason why the Spirit came upon him like a dove so that his earthly ministry can begin and he can walk in the empowerment to show us what it looked like to be dependent on God's Spirit. If I could just pause parenthetically right there, if Jesus Christ needs to be dependent on God's Spirit, how much more do you and I need to be dependent on God's Spirit? I know some of y'all looking at me funny, but you thought you woke yourself up this morning. You thought you started yourself on your way. You thought you got that money. You thought you got that business. You thought you got that opportunity. You thought you got that scholarship. You thought you passed that test. You thought you did all of the things that you've done. But if it had not been for the power of the Spirit that was working in your life to bring comprehensive transformation, there would be nothing that happened in your life. And so Jesus said, the Spirit is on me for a reason. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the Spirit has a reason to be on me. <laughs> Everything that's on you ain't got a reason for being on you. But the Spirit himself has a reason for being on you. And when you trust Christ as Savior, the Spirit abides on you. And so Christ sets the preeminent example of what dependence on the living God looks like for change to happen. He knew that his ministry would go nowhere without the Spirit. He knew that his life wouldn't go anywhere without the Spirit. He knew that not by might, not by power, not by strength, but by my Spirit says the Lord. And so he enjoys in his incarnation being dependent on God because we need to be dependent on God. So he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now here, it should be Adonai Elohim. But here it's not Adonai Elohim. It's interesting. It's Yahweh Adonai. Now what's interesting about that is that there's an interesting point that helps us in this spot. Elohim just means, of course, God or mighty one, okay? Uh, it points to that reality like El Elyon does powerfully. But what's interesting is that Yahweh points to a beautiful idea, and it points to several ideas, but I'll narrow it down to two because I don't want our time to just be on the word Yahweh. But first off, it means sovereign Lord. 
That means that there is nothing that happens that doesn't happen without God's permission. <laughs> and nothing in your life that has happened that has become broke, busted, and disgusted has not happened without God allowing it to happen. Because God allowed it to happen does not mean that he's not powerful to change it. But the issue, remember, the spirit comes for a reason. And so that means that, that, means that God, he's the sovereign Lord. But it not only means that he's the sovereign Lord, it means that he's a covenant keeper. And I like the fact that he's a covenant keeper. The reason why he's a covenant keeper is because whatever he covenants to do, he'll do. That means his word is his bond. That means if he tells you he's going to do something, he's going to do it. If he tells you, though, he's not going to do something, that means he's not going to do it. So we see that he's the sovereign covenant-keeping God. But thirdly, I got to say this, that it means the ever-existent one. That's why he told Moses, he said, who should I tell him sent him? He said, I am that I am. In other words, I, 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 it's really no way in your language to describe the massivity of my excellence, but I'm going to break it down in a verbal cue with a pronoun, I am. In, in, in other words, I'm going to give you a noun. It takes a noun and a verb to describe my name because it takes several, th but it, it, it has adverbial or adjectival uh, reflections of it. I, pronoun, am, is verb because I'm, I, I am who I am because I have an identity that's massive, but, I, but, but that's the I, but the am is what I do. So I'm not just what I do, I am who I am. We don't get that on the way home. And so what happens is, is, is that God, God when, when you, you know when God can't, won't give you language in your human language to describe the massivity of who he is, you know you're dealing with somebody pretty big. But, but, but not only does the text call him uh, Yahweh, it also calls him Adonai. Not Adon, but Adonai. Adonai points to real simply Lord or Master. But, but, but in, 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 in hip-hop and reality TV vernacular, if I can, it means he's the big boss. Don't look at me funny. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Everybody's a boss. I'm a boss this. One dude on the radio talking about nobody needs a boss and all this. Let me tell you, homie. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, someone, nobody needs a boss. He going off. You need to get having a job at this, having a job at that. Kala, 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 kala. But hey, the earth is the Lord's, not yours. So in order to boss up, you have to have a boss that gives you something to boss with. So there's only one eternal boss that takes care of everything. And so in the beginning of this thing, we should be shouting already because he's already given you everything you need to know that he resurrects dead things. But, but, but in order to humor our stupidity, he has to break it down a little bit for us. So look at what he says, family of God. He goes further, and he says, he has anointed me. In other words, he not only put his spirit on me, but the big boss who is the sovereign, covenant-keeping, ever-existing one anointed me. Help me today, God. In other, in other, in other words, he messiah me. He called me to be Messiah. Check it out. And he said, he anointed me to bring good news. That's the main controlling idea in the passage is that preaching is the controlling factor of why Jesus Christ came. He came to preach. Everything else was just the barbecue sauce. That's why he preached still while he was on the cross. While he was crossing, he was still preaching. Who in the world can be on a cross and preach and pray? I wouldn't be praying for none of y'all if y'all put me on the cross. <laughs> he on the cross preaching the dead, dude about to die, dude cussing him out, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what happened, but all I know is I wouldn't have been like Jesus Christ right there. 
Amen. But Jesus Christ came to proclaim something in particular so that people in particular would be engaged by what he was proclaiming. What did he proclaim? He proclaimed good news to a particular group of people, poor people. Now, somebody said, I, you know, I'm balling so much, I, you know, I ain't poor. You know what I'm saying? Because I got a couple of G's in the bank. <laughs> I got a couple of beans in my pocket, all right? But um, he's not talking about financial poverty. See, when God talks about poor, he goes deeper than your pocket, even though your pockets, in comparison to his, is poor. But, but what he's talking about here are those who have nothing to gain or nothing to lose. He's talking about those who know they can't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. He's talking to those who know that they, they are in desperate need of help. He's talking to those that know that there's nothing in their life that they can do to change their circumstances. In other words, he's talking to you if you realize it or not. <laughs> see, 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 he didn't come. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come for the religious people. See, religious folk don't know their need for change because they believe their religiosity and their moralism is the rubric by which God is going to utilize in order to get them into heaven. The problem with that is Romans chapter 2 says that God is going to take what you say is truth, what you say you believe, as a standard and set it up against your actual life in the judgment. And he's going to show you before he shows you his law how you didn't even keep what you said was righteousness. In other words, before he throws the sinner into hell, he wants you to know how impoverished you are. But, but he gives parenthetical pauses through proclamation for you to pursue change. And so what he does here is he proclaims to people who know they need him. That, that, see, 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 see that's, that's what he does. I love it. I, I remember one time, uh, we, we, uh, you know, and this dude said, how can I be saved? I was like, dang, you're making the preaching easy. Because in other words, a person that's come to the point where you ain't got to say, is there one this morning? Listen, if you get hit by a car, if you get hit by a train, if you get, if you, you got to go through all of this in the altar call. But it's interesting when somebody just, you just preach the gospel and you just preach and somebody said, I don't know about you, but I need some help. I'm coming. In other words, when you know your state. Yes. You know that, you, that, that, that it's necessary that only God can bring comprehensive transformation to your life and cause you to be all that he wants you to be by his glory and by his honor and by his praise to the glory of his grace. But not only does he preach the gospel to those who are impoverished. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit means your soul has poverty and it's disconnected from the Lord God. In other words, you, in other words when you know you need them, you don't do bootleg connections. Okay, see if I can make it plain. Um, my sister and them had a, uh, had a house in Capitol Heights, Maryland, and Capitol Heights is really little D.C. And, um, you know, and, um, um, and, 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 and their cable, that's back when they had the brown cable boxes. You know what I'm saying? Y'all don't know nothing about that. You know, the barrel cable box, when they, you know, I don't even know what the company was called. It was just called cable. You know, that's all I remember. And, um, and, and so, and so, and so we, we was wondering why the cable wasn't working. You know, I wanted to watch some cartoons or something. And so um, we, we, my, 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 my brother-in-law goes outside and he's like, dang, what's wrong? He's like a handy dude. And he sees a cord going across the street. He like... And he, his neighbor, I'm talking about across the street where cars drive. 
and this person had hooked. He's wondering why different channels would come in a certain way and go out. You know, this dude was stealing his cable. In other words, he was trying to get something that wasn't paid for. See, 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 the poor in spirit don't try to bootleg a connection to God. But see, the poor in spirit recognizes that I, I, I want a legitimate connection that only Christ can give to me. And so he said, he said not only do, did I come from the poor in spirit, he said, but God sent me. Somebody say sent me. He said he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. I like that. Now, now, now brokenhearted is, is really a vicious and violent term because it's a compound word. Now, 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 now I'm going to come back to bind up in a second, but let's look at brokenhearted first. Uh, 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 um, broken is something that's used in Psalm 34, in Psalm, 57, I mean, Psalm 51, to show you a person that understands and recognizes that they're in desperate need of God to change. In, in, in other words, the Bible says the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, he, he comes near to those and he hovers over those who know that they can't change their own circumstance. But what in their life is broken is not that they're just broke financially. It's not that they're just broke relationally with their friends. It's not that they're just broke educationally. He says they're broken from the inside, not merely from the outside. What's broken on these people that Jesus Christ came for? Their hearts. What does heart represent in Hebrew? I did. It represents your mind, your emotions, and your will. It represents your value system. Uh, it represents uh, your volition and your passions, um, and it represents what you want to do. In other words, God comes for people. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross, be raised from the dead for people who recognize that their values ain't nothing, yes. who recognize that their passions ain't nothing, and recognize that their will ain't nothing. In other words, you have to be willing to get yourself open on every single level so that you can be healed on every single level. Yeah. You're only going to be healed as deep as you open up. Yeah. 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 See, see, and so, and so, and what God wants to do is God wants to come in as the good doctor in a sick room and bandage up the shattered heart. Now, before God changes the heart, he has to take all the pieces that have been broken that you haven't seen in a while. Yeah and put them back together, then make them stay together. Why do you bind up something with something? You bind it up so that it can heal in process, not just immediately. When a doctor puts a bandage over a broken leg, it's not fully healed, but it's set up to heal. Somebody today, God is, wants to proclaim to you the reality that he set you up to be healed. And he wants to hold it in place. And when God puts a broken heart back together, it still hurts. But it lives in reality of the hope of healing. Yeah. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me today. And see, see, that's what, see, that's, see, God is resurrecting something that should have been dead. Every human being has had a heart attack. Every human being that's had a heart attack. They talk about Ron Winans, one of my favorite gospel singers. And the doctor on his deathbed, they were trying to work on his heart. And they said his heart exploded on the table. They re-injected blood into it, stitched it up, and the doctor went down and he did something interesting. He massaged his heart. And he massaged his heart and they were outdoors praying at the same time not knowing that at that time he was massaging his heart and he let it go. And when he, after the doctor put his heart in his hands after stitching his heart up and injecting the blood back in it, 
what he begins to do is he begins to squeeze the heart in his hands so that he could help a heart that couldn't pump on its own, but he stitched it up in the place that it was broken. Then he let it go. The stitches were still there, but they would dissolve later, and he was resuscitated. See, what God does in your life is he wants to stitch your heart back up together again, and he wants to put his hand into your chest, and he wants to massage and massage your mind, and he wants to massage your brokenness. He wants to massage your frustrations so that you can be resuscitated. And what he does most is in order for it to flow properly, he injects the blood of Jesus in it so it can be transformed. It says, bind up the brokenhearted. Not only does, but he proclaims, I like this, liberty to the captives. The idea here is that it's the year of Jubilee. Don't get scared. Um, this is not that foolish jubilee they were talking about a decade ago where you sow a seed so that God can do something for you. If I can pause parenthetically there, if you have to sow money for God to do something for you, it's not by faith. Anyway, the amens got real quiet. The Bible says that this, this was the year of jubilee in which every seven years, everybody who was in debt had a time in Israel where they got their debt canceled. Even though they couldn't pay it off and they couldn't take care of it on their own, God yells throughout the recesses of Israel that your debt has been paid. And that's what God is doing here in the passage. Jesus came to let people know that he came to, to, to bring you out of the captivity of the debt that you're in. Uh, uh, in. In other words, you're in debt to him because of your sin. You're in debt to him because of your iniquities. You're in debt to him because of your sin nature. But by faith in Christ alone, who took on the fullness of the wrath of God, you were transferred from the community of darkness to the community of his marvelous son. And what's powerful about that is every Everything is now on a trajectory of newness by the power of God through Jesus Christ. And so he, he, he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. And this is the part I really, really like right here. And this is extremely powerful in relation to the idea of him resurrecting dead things. It says, he comes to grant to those who mourn, who are sad and depressed, he said to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Well, I, I like this right here because what he begins to do is talk about the disposition of the broken. The ashes points to the fact that uh, they were grieving and put ashes on their head to grieve about the brokenness in their life. In other words, they were dealing with their brokenness without a solution. When Jesus Christ came on the scene, he didn't just want them to be in the pity party of their solutionless circumstances, but he wanted to proclaim the oil of gladness. Oh, you, should, you missed your shouting clue right there. Uh, um, you got to recognize that, that, that oil represents joy of the spirit. Yes. And, when, and, and oil, oil also represents resurrection ideas or healing. Let me see if I can make it real plain up in here since y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I, when, when I go to the pool, I look 20 years older when I come out of the pool. <laughs> and that's because... Everything shrivels up on me. 
everything. I'm everything. And then, and then what happens is, now see, some of y'all light-skinned people don't know what I'm about to say. <laughs> um, but see, us darker-skinned people, when our skin decides, decides. <laughs> that there is no anointing in it, it looks like somebody threw an ashtray all over our body. That's called ashiness. But I don't know if you've ever been rich. You took a shower, washed the chlorine off and everything, but, and then it dries up and it's worse, right? But then you get some baby oil. You take some baby oil and you just rub it over. The baby oil gets all up in the... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Gets all up in the cracks and crevices of the grayness and where there was cracks and where there was brokenness, the oil brings healing. Yes. Oh, you're going to catch it in a second. It's, it's, it's what God wants to do in your life, your dry life, your ash-filled life, is he wants to oil it with gladness. In other words, he wants to turn your brokenness and he wants to turn your tears into happiness in him. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that I serve a God that doesn't let me stay the same. I'm so glad that no matter where I am in my circumstances, no matter how broken I am, no matter how dry my life is, is that God is willing to come in and bring a change to my life. He wants to oil you down in a way that you have never been oiled in your life. I love the fact that when God brings transformation, he wants to bring it in a way where everybody can see it. But as a matter of fact, the text doesn't stop there. He says, I want to bring a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Now, some of y'all getting scared right now because you know, you think you're wired a particular way. See, most of y'all, you know, the garment of praise. The garment of praise means I'm thankful. Because I'm thankful, I open my mouth and loudly communicate that there's been a change in my life that has taken place. In other words, when God says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. What he does when he brings rest for your soul, I love this, is that he says, when you take on his yoke, he takes all, he always transfer off you what's heavy for what's light. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is so therefore, when somebody's burden gets light, the proper response to that is to praise his name. Okay, see, see, I, 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 I'm lost right now because, see, some of y'all looking at me real funny. See, the Bible, my, my, now, now, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but I don't care what you are on the disc. Some of us say, well, I'm a high I and I'm a high S and a high C and all, all that kind of, uh, you know, the Myers-Briggs says I'm an introvert. And so, therefore, I'm going to build my life around how I'm personally wired. But you don't recognize that God doesn't care how you're wired. Matter of fact, when you, when he, you trust him as Savior, he's already rewired you. And so, he expects when he sets you free for you to give him the fruit of your lips. That means that when he takes the heaviness off of you and puts healthiness on you, you ought to stand up and open your mouth and give him praise. Now, not to see y'all still looking at me funny. The Bible says, it doesn't say meditate on the Lord for the, with the voice of triumph. It says shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. 
So I don't care how you're wired or what your ethnic background is, the Bible transcends whether you're Presbyterian or Pentecostal. It, 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 it transcends all of that because the demand on the transformed life, y'all still ain't get it yet, should be that you would open your mouth and give him the fruit of your lips. Some of y'all still ain't get it yet. The Bible says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You still sitting down. The Bible says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and I'll enter his courts with breath. You still ain't get it yet. The Bible says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Some of y'all are still sitting there like, he, I, I know he's done something for me. I know, but, but, but I'm embarrassed. And, but he wasn't embarrassed to get on that cross for you. So why would you be embarrassed not to stand from your seat and open your mouth and give him the fruit of your lips? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore seeking to rise no more but the master of the sea he heard my despairing cry and from the waters he lifted me I'm thankful for the blood I'm thankful that he raised me I'm thankful that he saved me I'm thankful that I was dead but now I live his grace and his mercy set me free. I'm so glad that I was once blind, but now I see. I love the Lord. He heard my cry and pitied every groan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he's all right. Some of y'all don't know if it had not been for the Lord looking out for you, taking care of you, moving on your behalf, opening up doors, closing some doors, breaking some places, taking your places, doing things that you couldn't do on your own. Help me today, God. I'm so glad that a weed smoker from Northwest DC is now smoking on the oil of gladness. Some of y'all don't get it yet. You're still afraid. And, but, but, but I don't know if you know this, but praise shifts the atmosphere. See, praise here is the decision that in the midst of your heaviness, that you're willing to deal with your heaviness by praising him. But see, you don't know the trick yet. You think that just belongs to the charismatic church. But when you get in the praises and begin praising the living God, stuff that was weighing you down, begins to become light. So you should right now, where you stand, decide. I don't care how thug you think you are. I don't care if you popping gum. I don't care if you got on a mini skirt. I don't care if you got on Butter Tims. I don't care if you got on some Jordans. I don't care if you got on a varsity jacket. I don't care if you got on gaiters. I don't care if you got on a three-piece suit. I don't care if you got on a dress. I don't care if you got on a tie. And I don't care if you came in a lot, but if you know the Lord, 
set you free, you should open your mouth. God, I thank you that you're a good God and that you have raised this dead thing. 